This episode is sponsored by the Paper Trails Greeting Company. Owners near and far, hear ye, hear ye. There's an amazing company that's dedicated to celebrating and encouraging every runner that laces up a pair of running shoes, and it's called the Paper Trails Greeting Company. This company offers something that's hard to replicate in a text message, and that is a physical, innovative, and genuine note of kindness that supports and celebrates every runner. The motto of the company is that every runner belongs, and each card proves that. The cards preach community among all runners, and there's a card for each season of a runner's journey. If you've run a new personal best, there's a card that celebrates that. If you suffered an injury, there's a card that lets you know that someone is thinking of you and that you'll come back even stronger. There's even a card that celebrates your significant running other. For me personally, I never felt like a runner, but then I stumbled across the Paper Trails Greeting Company and it inspired me to pick up running again. And eventually it made me feel like I was a part of the running community. Go on their website, papertrailsgreetingco.com and check out their incredible selection of cards. Use the code LACTICACID in all caps for 15% off your order. They also have inspirational stickers and PDF printouts, so be sure to check those out as well. Then follow them on their social media page on Instagram, Paper Trails Greeting Co., as well on Facebook. And always remember to celebrate every runner and that every runner belongs. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, saints and inks? Welcome to the Lactic Acid Podcast. I am your host, Dominique Smith. First and foremost, I want to thank everyone who supported the show so far. It's been so much fun to be a part of and work on, and I'm just so thankful for everyone who has listened, everyone who's followed on social media for all of the kind words, the reviews you've left. I'm truly grateful, and the best is yet to come with Lactic Acid. If you haven't already, go ahead and do me a quick favor. Head to our Instagram page, Lactic Acid Podcast. Go ahead and follow that page. Follow the Twitter page, Lactic Acid underscore pod. We're on TikTok now. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'd like you to follow Lactic Acid Podcast. And then on YouTube, Lactic Acid with Dominique Smith. There's some different content on there, some interviews that I got a chance to do with a few athletes out at the Prefontaine Classic, a part of the Magic Boost program. So definitely check that out. I am so excited for you all to get a chance to meet Hannah Borenstein. She's my friend who was the guest for this episode. We had such a good time. We talked about gentrification and track and field. We talked about the 90s. Hannah and I are 90s nerds. And we went in detail on some of the great, great cartoon. And we broke it down uh, like a fraction. And (laughs) it it was really fun. Um, We talked about some of the old school movies that we enjoyed. I don't want to give too much away, but this is definitely an episode that you're going to want to listen to. Anna is a PhD candidate in anthropology at Duke, one of the smartest minds out there. Definitely is a person that you want to follow. You can follow her on her Twitter page and I will have the info for that in the show notes. As you heard, the Paper Trails Greeting Company is sponsoring this show. They are no stranger. They're friends of this show, and I am truly grateful for their their support. Uh, Kristen Dornbaugh, she was a guest on the show not too long ago. She blessed the show and um, really, really was a fun time getting a chance to talk to her. Do me a favor. Go like their page on Instagram at the Paper Trails Greeting Company. But 
if you, like I said in the promo, buy a card or buy something from the website, type in the code lactic acid for 15% off your order. It's truly an amazing company doing great things in the sport and it's a blessing to know them. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor for lactic acid, email me at lacticacidpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to talk with you to expand your business and to bring the business into this wonderful audience that we have. I hope everyone enjoys the show. We'll catch you later. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, saints and ain'ts, and welcome to Lactic Acid, the podcast where the takes are fresh, the ideas are ripe, which makes us the best in the bunch. I am your host, Dominique Smith, and I hope everyone had a happy holiday. But today, I am super, 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 super pumped to bring to you today's guest. She will be the track and field historian of the world, and she will be a published author as well as a doctor soon as very soon and very soon. Uh, definitely someone I look up to, appreciate, full of knowledge and wisdom, and I'm so pumped to have her on the show. She is none other than Miss Hannah Bornstein. What's going on, fam? How you doing? It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. It's so funny. I feel like you calling me historian. There's a lot of historians, I'm sure, that would not be too happy about that, but um, but I do appreciate it. Well, listen, they're not about, well, I was going to say they're not about that life, but if you're a historian, you're kind of about that life, but, but so are <laughs> they're you. Way, they're way more about that life than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, one thing you're going to get a chance to see is that Hannah has a great understanding and great wisdom based on her experience and uh, the way she thinks of the deeper things of track and field and just the deeper things of humanity, uh, which is much needed in our culture and our society because it helps us move forward. And there's none other, none better to do that than her. But usually, so I ask everyone when we start, um, if you had to compare you know, your game or whatever you do to a superhero, who would you compare yourself to, but I'm not going to ask you that because this episode is unique as one I've been looking forward to because Hannah, like myself, is a 90s television show brat. It's the best era in television. And we have a whole segment about that. You're going you're gonna to get an education lesson on it, trust me. But the question I want to ask you, what 90s character from what 90s show do you relate to the most? Oh man, I'm so happy I got away from the superhero question. I was like nervous you were going to ask me that because that's like so not my world. Can I, I choose you. a movie? Yeah, doesn't matter. I think Matilda. Oh. Yeah, just I mean I've I've read the book a million times, seen the movie a million times. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's the best pick because it's not necessarily my favorite character though I do love her, but like yeah, identify with. Do you have superpowers like Matilda? I think like one of the reasons that I feel like I do is that there's that scene. If, if I don't know if you've seen the movie, but in the very it's beginning, ten times like yeah, like a million times when she makes the pancakes when she's like three years old, and I feel like that's just like me. Like I, I don't think I was that young when I learned how to make pancakes, but it was definitely the first food that I learned how to make, and I could like do it at a young age and I was definitely like standing on a chair like in the kitchen home alone making pancakes one time and I was just like I remember seeing that and being like that's me (laughs) (laughs) 
I was blonde, but that was the only difference. <laughs> I, so for whatever reason on Freeform, Matilda's been on like before the 25 Days of Christmas so many times. I probably watched it seven times in a month for whatever reason. I will <laughs> say this. I wish like when I was in school that if I could have that power to make someone with your eyes, like make like beat the crap out of them just by looking at them. That, oh, is- like that. that moment when the, the carrot is coming towards her and she just like freezes it and tra- like iconic. I just, yeah, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like epic. And you know, it's, it's, that mean old lady, whatever her name is, uh, I don't even know. Trenchable. It's trenchable. Yeah. yeah, like, I don't know. They they didn't egg her, but everybody went and threw stuff at her and, you know, it was uh, happily ever after. Um, I don't know why I like that movie so much, but, like, I, I don't know. I've been watching it, <laughs> you know, a lot. Uh, but that is epic to make pancakes at three years old. I think when I was three... I put my hand on the stove when my mom told me not to. Yeah. I mean, I like definitely did that too. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that you're, you know, making pancakes, I'm 27 and I can't flip a pancake to save my life. So that is <laughs> epic. So Hannah and I, we met uh, back in the day, back in the day, meaning about eight months ago. Uh, I don't even know how many months ago it was, it was a minute ago, but we were part of the magic boost program. And if you've listened to the show, um, there's been a couple guests, uh, it's Emma Zimmerman and definitely be sure to check out that episode. It came out in August, but Hannah was a guest on there and they went deep into some topics. Hannah's amazing work in Ethiopia and some of the perspectives and things that she's learned. Um, definitely be sure to check that out. Emma's no stranger to the show. She was my second guest. Um, but yeah, we met in the magic boost program and we really got a chance uh, to know each other. Um, and so that's why I'm very, very excited to share, uh, her brilliance. But one of the things that, well, when we first get started, she goes to Duke, um, is getting her PhD in anthropology. Did I say that correctly? Yep. Okay. Okay. We're on the, we're on the right track. I thought I was going to mess that up, um, and stuff like that. And so, like I said, she, read her stuff, go on her Twitter account and definitely see some of the things that she's written in some of the episodes that she's been on. One thing that I'm interested in is how did you get the curiosity and just the want to know more, to experience different cultures, to go deep, deep, and even deeper to get a basic understanding and then be able to present it in such a way that it could truly affect change because the things that you've worked on, the things that you are working on, it's something that needs to be brought to the forefront for people to know, to grow, and then to expand. And like I said, that's how change is built. What, you know, where did that come from? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, th- I feel like I've always been, I mean, it gets, to, it gets to the heart of like what I do. Cause I think I've, I've been able to meet throughout my whole life, even like when I was a kid, lots of different people um, through sports, because it can be a way, not, sometimes it's a way where you really only meet the same people. Like if you're, you know, yeah. on like a, you know, sort of a more prohibitive sport where you're, there's like a big buried entry. But I played like basketball growing up and I, so I was like meeting people from all different walks of life and 
through that. And then when I was in college, I met a lot of people who had, you know, either were from different countries or had traveled and I hadn't left the country. And I think that was like, so when I became really curious about traveling, I like applied for this undergrad grant and I went, that was when I went to Ethiopia for the first time. Um, the first time I left the U S I went to Ethiopia, which was like a huge culture shock. And I could have, it was also the start of like a broader curiosity about the world, but it also led me, I mean, ultimately to what I'm still working on today with my PhD, which is like this project about Ethiopian athletes. And I think, you know, one thing that's cool about doing what I've done is that I, I don't like, I, there's a lot of places in the world I haven't been that I like to go, but it's definitely really interesting to learn a lot about a place that's so different from where you're from. Cause I think I went there and I met people and I learned that like every expectation, there's just like so much more depth there. Yeah. I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't look away. So I think that's kind of like how I started. And then to your, the second point of your question of like, why I want to, you know, I guess, bring people into it is for a couple of reasons, but one of them is like, then I went and got this PhD where you're so like encouraged to read all this theory and like learn this academic language that, you know, almost all of the world doesn't speak at all. Um, and so I wanted to write about things that people in Ethiopia were telling me they wanted people like people here to know but if I write about that in academic language, which I have done, like I have some like peer reviewed articles, you know, there's gonna be like five people that read that maybe. <laughs> but if I write something that's way more accessible, it gets out there way quicker, a lot more people can engage with it. So um, that's kind of why like I started to go down that direction the, the last couple of years. It's, well, let me just say this. I would be one of them that would be, it would be like reading hieroglyphics you know, if you wrote it in kind of like the academic world, but it's, it's so interesting. And you do such a great job of writing it in such a way where there is such a storytelling kind of method. I know that, you know, you, you, you're really close with families and runners and Ethiopia and stuff like that. Has that, did that experience in Ethiopia kind of teach you how to break it down um, in such a way that everybody understands it and everything, because there's emotion in your writing, but it's like proper emotion, if that makes sense. Because you do a great job of capturing the emotion of the story of the person's story that you're telling or the situation and everything. And you offer unique perspectives. So that's, you know, one thing that I'm curious about, like, did that, you know, experience of going to Ethiopia and, you know, going around the world and traveling and, you know, you went to Switzerland, you were at some track meets and everything like that, just, you know, breaking it down. Um, you know, has that kind of impacted your writing and your storytelling more so to have others understand it? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you very much for saying that. Um, and yeah, definitely. I think it's like given me, um, a an insight into the tools that I the, the the information and sort of like what I need to have to feel like I'm the right person to tell a story for one and sometimes that's not me right like even if I want to and two what I you know I, I'm not going to get to live with every single athlete in the world I want to tell a story about <laughs> I know that right but kind of like with what you do with this podcast like where can you find some kind of 
some kind of third thing where you're, you're relating to a person or like understanding something else about their life, that then you feel you have the ability to say something about whatever, like, where do you feel like you can kind of meet, especially when you're working with an athlete, like meet them so that you feel like you can represent them in the way that they would either want to be represented or that they would represent themselves. So at that meet in Switzerland, actually, I met Josette Norris, who was like having this incredible summer of racing after she didn't make the Olympic team. And she ended up like coming third in the final diamond league, but we spoke after the race. And then the next day I sat down with her and her partner, Robbie Andrews, who were like two of the best, you know, middle distance runners in the U S and like, we had this long interview with them and we, I wrote an article about her. And then like two months later, totally out of the blue, we, she and I like, and Robbie showed up to this place where I run all the time when I'm visiting my parents' house, Rockefeller State Park, and they happened to be there. It was really weird. And um, we showed up at the same time too. So I like, ended up going on the run with her. And like, they said to me, thank, oh, that article was so great. Like my mom loved it. <laughs> and to me, that was like the best. She, and they, apparently her mom was like, you captured our relationship so well. And to me, that was like the best compliment I could ever get is like when an athlete signs off and tells me that like, they feel like I captured the ethos of whatever, like they were in at that moment. Like, then I feel like I actually did like a decent job because if, it feels like a huge responsibility sometimes to like tell someone else's story. So I think like my work in Ethiopia has definitely done that. Cause it, it makes me think about all the contextual things that if I'm just meeting someone or like, I don't know them that well, like, what should I try and learn? Um, to get a whole sense of that person. Well, that's why I say you're like the goat when it comes to like the track and field historian, because like, I need to stop saying like, but when I was in school, we had to read Clive Staples Lewis, AKA C.S. Lewis. And so I went to a, you know, private Christian school. So we had to read this book called Mere Christianity. And oh my goodness, did I not understand like what he was saying because of the language that was being used? It was like, can you break this down like the Lion Witch in the Wardrobe kind of deal? But you know, to your point, it is, you know, I sometimes I sit down and I'll have this amazing interview, and it's like, oh, sweet baby Jesus of Nazareth, how am I supposed to break this down, you know, and write it? But you do such a unique job of doing that, especially when it comes to deeper topics and, and really engaging with athletes, especially, you know, where there's, you know, a difference, uh, you and I at the magic boost program, and I'll touch on magic boost just a hair. Uh, Cause I'm sure <laughs> there's some people who have heard too much about it or they feel like they did. And I, personally, I don't care, but it was a great experience, but we kind of, you know, swap stories about some of the things that we went through growing up and, you know, kind of our background, does that ever factor into, you know, what you do as far as, okay, you know, I'm learning more and you can relate to the different people that you come in contact with, especially with unique stories. Does that ever kind of help you uh, bridge the gap with people and even in your writing? Yeah, totally. I remember, and now that I'm thinking back to those conversations, yeah, I think your question makes a lot of sense. Cause I think like, I mean, if I remember correctly, sort of speaking thematically, I think one of the things that we talked about was like, people may be assuming a lot of things about you based on like knowing one or two facts or like pieces of data about your life. And then they kind of like assume this whole story. And, you know, 
that story, maybe sometimes it's accurate. I think in our cases, a lot of times it's not. Um, and so I think like, you know, not trying to not have those assumptions for sure is definitely one thing and like making people feel comfortable. But, you know, like you said, it's still, it's also hard to convey to them, you know, especially in track and field media, like one of the things that we saw is like a very, has been sort of like an older white guy's game for a while. And there's a level of distrust that I think a lot of us in the program could, could observe being there because so many athletes like maybe in the past they've had their quotes taken out of context and there's not that kind there's not that kind of like you have a lot of power when you're interviewing someone and then you only get to choose a couple things that they said and to put into the article and then you still have to represent them and it's like you may do an hour and a half interview and have to boil that down into 800 words and you want it to be compelling and like evocative but you also want to represent them well And so I think I try and put myself in their shoes in being in this kind of vulnerable position and, you know, one to like break the ice and sort of make them feel more comfortable, but two to think about, yeah, like if I were on the other side of the microphone or whatever, like what, yeah, what, what parts of my story that maybe haven't been told, but that people would assume about me, like, I think what we were talking about, what would I like want that want to come out of that? Um, Yeah. But it's tough because unless you've like, I know Dana sort of brings this perspective, unless you've like been an elite athlete, I think for a lot of us, it is definitely, you know, like we haven't really been in the spotlight. So, or like I haven't. <laughs> so yeah, I draw on like that experience of, you know, being sort of like pigeonholed or being like assumed to be a certain way and being frustrated about that, but feeling like I can't say anything. And I try and like help them be the person that could like voice whatever the thing is that they haven't, they feel like they haven't been able to say yet. Why did you choose to, um, what's the proper word? I don't want to say be a part because we were selected, but why did you uh, want to be a part of the uh, Magic Boost program? Well, I think like most of us, like none of us really knew what we were doing, like getting into, but like when Chris Chavez has his, you know, that's the person that it's been under, you kind of like, it gives it a sense of legitimacy. So... That's a great question. I mean, for sure, like, I definitely wanted to, like, make more connections and meet people, which I definitely did. Um, And I definitely wanted to go to pre, like, that I'm sure was a driving factor for all of us. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think what was, like, so cool about being at pre with everybody in the program was that I could, like, start to see... And I was probably one of the few people that had been at some like pretty elite meets at that point um, behind the scenes. And so, but it was like, I could actually, I started to like see a group of really diverse people with, you know, diverse backgrounds, diverse interests and diverse abilities that we could like, I was like, oh, this is like, uh, this is going forward. Like we're going to see each other in these spaces, I hope. And we're going to be able to like use each other and hopefully collaborate and like not be territorial over the media like landscape. There's certain interviews that like I shouldn't do and I should like call you to do or like get, you know, um, context from you. You know, I I hope that we can like, seems like we have been, but continue having these conversations and like talk to each other for support and for information and just make it a more collaborative process than 
I think it has been for a while. I think we have, you know, when you go to conferences and different things like this and you're part of it, you don't, there, there's a major level of selfishness. And sometimes, you know, thinking about yourself is it's fine because you need to get everything that you can get and then, you know, get better. But part of the problem, and, you know, we'll touch on it later, um, is that when we saw the, the landscape of it, you know, sometimes I get I have trouble, you know, getting athletes and, and you know, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm better. But it's like, listen, I provide a different perspective. You provide a different perspective. People in that group, you know, for one, we're, we're younger. And then the questions we have are different. It's not the same thing that you're used to. But there is a level of selfishness because it's so competitive, you know, not talking about our group, but, you know, kind of, you know, what we saw from everybody else. And it, it, it's not good for the athletes. It's not good for, you know, just what we want to do as storytellers and content creators. Um, but and like I said, I'm, we're going to get back to because I have a specific question, but this was just on my mind and I have to ask. So you were a hooper back in the day. <laughs> sure was. <laughs> so I, I need some context behind that. Who, 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 who can you like, give me a name of somebody to describe that hooping element? Because, you know, you posted a picture on Instagram a few weeks ago or a couple months ago or whatever. And that was in, that was an impressive skill set, you know, had the ball, you know, positioned in the right hand and the left hand went up properly for the layup you know, knocked off the foot. So I, I need to know, we need to get to know Hannah Borstein because you are an athlete on this show and this show is for everybody. Give, give me some context about the hooper that is within. <laughs> the hooper that's within will always be the hooper. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I, I thought you were, I also like posted something of me when I was probably like six or seven and uh, like I was some photo in my story um, with this ridiculous face that I was making for some reason at the YMCA team that I played for in San Francisco. And the truth is like, I was never that good, obviously. Um, but when I was like really young, I was really good for both my age and my size, like weirdly good. So by the time, like, you know, I played like AU and I played um, high school and I was like decent, but when I was like six, seven, eight, like I would score like 20 points at these rec games. Oh my God. And like I, I was very, I, I, hate to, I, hate like, to, I hate to cut you <laughs> off. What do you mean you're not good? Or you weren't that good? Well, no, I was like really young and I had, I had these pair of Jordans that were like tiny. Oh. And I was also like, I'm obviously not like very big now, but I was like really small for a while. And I remember there was this like rec game in California where I like, you know, I, I just played really well and like the whole family it was just like the crowd was kind of going wild and like everyone was calling me baby Jordan after the game and that was like definitely when I hit my peak I was like there's a yeah there's like great some great photos there um but I, I was like I was definitely like a when I got older I was really good at like controlling the pace of a game I think that's like the best skill I had I was point guard and I was definitely not the most athletic person. I probably, I had the best endurance probably of most people on the teams, but I didn't, I wasn't like a high scorer after a while, but I could like pass really well. And I could like see the court uh, 
what they say in the biz, I had a high basketball IQ. So um, I like really modeled my play after like Steve Nash. That I was, was just favorite. gonna say that. That sounds like you sound like a Steve Nash kind of player. Yeah, oh, so and I and I did like the I had like his floater too, which my high school coach hated. He used really? to, every time I missed it, he screamed at me. Yeah, because I was like, and I, I and I could draw charges really well. Those were like the things I did well, but I was not super physical and I wasn't very good at driving. So I would like float instead of drawing a foul, I would like float it a lot. And if it went in, I it was fine. But if I missed it, it would I, I got in a lot of trouble for that. Sounds like the coach was jealous because that is an elite floater. I used to love Steve Nash um, back yeah. in the day. And I was like, okay, that's that's kind of what you know it, your game sounds like. Cause you know, Steve Nash, you know, he could shoot the three and everything, but you know, he could see the court, make the flashy passes and all that stuff. So I love that uh uh Jordan shoes thing. I don't know if you've seen the movie Like Mike with Little Bow Wow. And oh, I was obsessed with that movie. I think I've seen that movie like more more than Matilda. I can't believe I didn't say, yeah, Little Bow Wow in that movie. Oh my god, Doesn't that was like Cal my dream. Calvin Cambridge or something <laughs> like that. That's what it sounds like. That's that's. See, if I if I asked you the superhero question, you should have said Calvin Cambridge because that's what it sounds like. You yeah. Put a pair of Jordans on, and you know, every now and then you Steve Nash, you know, dropping twenty, seeing the court, and everything like that. Okay. Yeah, no, that was that was definitely the vibe. I was really into. Yeah. Oh my god, that movie, so good. That was that was that was. I was obsessed though. Like I, I knew everything about the NBA for a while. I also like had one of those um, baskets that went over the door. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Oh, I, I, I would like those. Yeah, and I would like come home after school, and I would like take a thousand, you know, left-handed layups so I could learn how to do a left hand. <laughs> like, when I was like, you know, seven, I had this like weird amount of discipline um, for like these minute details in the game, and then you know, kind of eventually went away. But I used to be like Vince Carter on those things. Oh. I used to run through those because, you know, they used to go. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I I'm like, you know, trying to put it under the legs and everything and just throwing it down. I go to like the corner and everything. And I'm just like, you know, shooting J's. And oh, all yeah. Did you watch N1? Yes. Yeah. I also like, there was the professor, which is really ironic now. Yes. Who's the only white guy that played. <laughs> and playing. No way. <laughs> yeah, he's going to like random parks, challenging people, uh, gracing something. Professor, if you listen to, you know, go ahead and sponsor the show. We talk about your man. But yeah, that that used to be a uh, professor and hot sauce. You know, those used to be. Oh, my God. Hot sauce. Yeah. And one mixtape tour, man. ESPN used to come on and like, yes, I used to watch that. You see, not a lot of people can relate to Hannah and I because we're kind of old souls. <laughs> I know. And stuff like I was that. obsessed with that stuff. Oh my god, oh, man! Ah, uh, Escalade. Oh, Escalade. Was it the was the guy named the spider, or was that the move? I can't His remember. Spider. Okay, there was a spider, but then he used to do the dunk where he like put his feet up on the backboard yeah. or something. That was so crazy. <laughs> Be like, oh snap! You know, maybe if I can learn that, and then quickly realize, like, you know, it's a travel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I know there was no rules with that. that so. Was great. Wow, that is that's awesome. So one thing that I find curious, so you describe your basketball game, you know, pretty well. So you were like I said, I needed to know about the baller within. 
And so we definitely got that. But you were a runner. Oh, you ran for NYU and tell me Pittsburgh, I want to say. Yeah, I didn't run at Pitt, though. Okay, NYU. That's more important. Yeah. And so you ran at NYU. You still run now. So you have an understanding about the sport as a collegiate athlete. It sounds, listening to you describe how you were as a baller, I'm still going to see. No. So let's just put it this way. You're, we're going to make you an and one mixtape name on this show. You're going to be Dr. B or Dr. Yeah. Steen. That's what we're going to call you, Dr. Steen. Yeah. So you being the baller that's within, it sounds to me, just based on your point guard, it sounds like some of that translated to running. Am I wrong in kind of thinking that? No, I think you're right. I think like, yeah, I didn't have nearly as long of like, a, I didn't, I haven't raced a lot, but I think one thing that was weird was that I really liked indoor track. And I think part of that was because of like the environment. It felt more like a basketball gym to me because mm-hmm. everyone's like way closer and it's just like a, it's much more intense environment. I mean, I love like running on trails now and stuff like that, but um, I think, yeah, I think I like really like the team element too. And so that feels like a pretty point guardy thing. I haven't thought about it in those terms, but now I really want to, but I think probably, yeah, like in terms of controlling the pace of things and being patient, I think I was like decent at that. I don't know, or maybe I'm more decent at it now. Honestly, um, listening to how you describe, it's funny. The first time I saw you run, we were on a walk. It was me, Dana, Catherine Burgess. Oh, yeah. That was like before we even met in person. I think. Yeah, and it was like Nikki and we were like, we didn't know who was there. And then it's like, oh, snap, that's Hannah running like down the trail and everything. Um, so I didn't know you didn't run a pit. That's, you know, it's interesting. Um, that is a pretty awesome way to start at NYU, like the Mecca and all that stuff. Like, yeah. Well, I probably wouldn't, I, I wasn't really run. I didn't really run towards the end of high school. I like stopped running for several years and then I actually like, didn't do anything. And then I started running after I left pit, like over the summer, just to, um, Yeah sort of for my body but not like in a serious way um and yeah the competitive flow eventually came back in my mind I thought like I had to be a student when I like transferred to NYU I was like I can't be like involved in sports like I need to because I at first for all of my high school I was like such a athlete that in, in this like small high school that I went to and I felt like no one would take me seriously I had like major imposter syndrome when I got to NYU really really didn't yeah because I transferred there which is like always easier now like I don't care now I'm like that's smart like everyone should do that like transfer to a better school if that's what you want but I felt like I wasn't like smart enough to be there and like I didn't belong there and so on and so forth so I felt like I really had to like focus on school for a while listening to you describe yourself as a point guard I don't know if you thought about it but it makes your writing style is literally it makes sense now (laughs) Like, I'm just sitting here listening, like, oh, Lord, have mercy. Like, it makes sense and everything like that because it's very descriptive in how you write and how you tell stories. So, like, wow. Like I said, Dr. B, listen, go ahead and give her that PhD. We don't need to do another year of that. (laughs) Yeah, I really like that. I want to, like, put that on my CV now, like point guard with a pen or something like that. Point guard, like I said, Dr. Steen and everything like that. So, 
you recently, and it's going to be published sometime in 2022, um, you wrote about Hey Arnold, which we're going to get to uh, briefly, but you wrote about the gentrification. When I tell y'all Hannah is deep, it's like scuba diving kind of deep with, you know, how she goes. And if you hear noises in the background, people popping on fireworks and it's not even, you know, New Year's yet, but it's a little early. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's crazy. But you wrote about gentrification and it made it makes so much sense. Like going back and rewatching the episode, there's a couple episodes talk about uh, and I'm not going to you know, give too much away, but there's another episode that I thought about. It's when the two bullies, there was a new bully and uh, I guess his name was Wolfgang or whatever. And they were fighting over, you know, territory and they split, you know, Arnold and Helga and all those up and they played football and, you know, they kind of ran them off that lot that they created. And so, you know, we talk about gentrification. I'll give you the four. How have you seen that in the sport of track and field? Just, just in general, from the top level, or and I'm not even going to put a label on it. Just how have you seen it impact the sport of track and field? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And like when we were talking before, you know, it's like there's so many different directions you could go with this question because I feel like, I mean, gentrification is like it's happened, it's happening in our world. So anything that's happening in the world is impacting track and field because like these are not separate spheres, right? So I think there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I think the probably the most obvious way is probably like events and like the construction of stadiums and the construction of facilities and things like that. You know, like you think about something like LA 2028 and where things are being built and that's, you know, going to benefit obviously some people, mostly like real estate developers, but, you know, is going to kick a lot of people in LA neighborhoods where they're building facilities out and I think like one of the really ironic things about track and field is that like the athletes don't make that much money and they're not like profiting off of these things so something like the LA Olympics like the athletes aren't even getting paid so you're gonna have a lot of athletes I bet especially from the U.S. who's whether or not they actually live in LA or not, like it could be their family members or like maybe it is their family members who are going to be placed out of those homes because they can't afford them anymore. And then like, even within the sport, you know, gentrification, like again, the athletes in track and field, they're so not well taken care of that a lot of times it's hard for them to afford the places that they need to leave, like live to get to the facilities that they need to train in. Um, and I've seen this like happen. I mean, you could think of um, really a lot of a lot of sprinting is like in. I mean, I know there's a lot in Florida, but there's also a lot in like Southern California where it's really prohibitively expensive to live. And you know, maybe there's a training group and they have to live in Boulder, which is like one of the most expensive places in the country. So you know, I think that there's like both sport cre- can create processes of gentrification, both you know, sort of from the top down. But then I think from the bottom up too, you have athletes who are like really struggling and I think they don't always want to talk about it. And I totally get why. Um, But I do think that we have a responsibility to like talk about also their access to like a pie of track and field because, you know, like they're, 
they have these really precarious contracts and they're not high earning and they don't get revenue shares. And like, it's, it's really hard for them just to like make ends meet a lot of the time. There are more people that have to work, you know, other jobs in addition to training and stuff like that. And, you know, we praise those stories like, you know, that's great. I'm like, you know, that's nice, you know, in theory, but in reality, that sucks. Like you have to work a nine to five, you're a professional athlete. You have to work a nine to five and then you have to, you know, find ways to get the training, the treatment and stuff like that. Here in Orlando, I used to work um, for the former school that I went to. I was a shot put and discs coach and we have a well, the track is unless they've redone it. You know, the track is not what it used to be, but it used to be, you know, a nice Olympic size track. It's a little bit you know, outdated, but like Steven Gardner trained there and all that stuff. And it is it, it, crazy to me because, you know, it costs money to train other places. And one thing, you know, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this. I was thinking about contracts and thinking about different, you know, especially shoe companies. It seems to me, and maybe this isn't exact gentrification, but they tend to... For example, the 100 meters does not get the same cut as the long jump. Now, you have like Brittany Reese, who has won a count, countless amount of medals. And it's a very difficult thing. You have Mondo Duplantis. You have, um, you know, I can't think of a Nike, and maybe that's ignorance on my part. My bad to the steeplechase. But you have somebody, you know, like that. Yeah, exactly. Courtney Ferris, you know, who, oh God, my bad. My bad, Bowerman, forget me. Um, <laughs> but you have like these athletes, you know, who have these very difficult events. That's not saying there's no event in track and field that is easy. But the high degree of difficulty when it comes to some of these events, they don't get from the shoe companies you know, Brittany Reese could win 35,000 gold medals, but she still will not get, you know, what she deserves. That's going to go to... The, like, under coverage of her in Tokyo is crazy. It's insane. Yeah. Shot putters and stuff like that. It, oh, yeah. It's difficult. And, you know, now that we say it, it it's kind of... Even, I hate to say it, USA Track and Field, even the TV markets, and I, I get it, you, you have to put what sells. You have to put what sells. But, but you also can't sell anything unless you put it out there. <laughs> yeah. So you we don't even know one of the best, the shot put competition, Ryan Krauser and and, um, and Joe Kovacs. You, you know, some of these, you know, incredible competitions. I remember a few years ago watching Molly Huddle and Shannon Roberry, I believe it was the 5K. And that last 800 meters was epic. Um. But none of this stuff gets the attention. And it's like we're trying to save shoes by cutting off feet. That's kind of how I look at it. Is there going to be a price to pay for the direction in which not even just the shoe companies? Fine, the, you know, the shoe companies, whatever the case might be, Nike is not going to, at least for right now, you know, they're not going to give the athletes the respect they deserve. And like you said, Brittany Reese, they should put some respect on her name for all the things she's done and people who are like her in that situation. But 
even you know people with the the TV rights. Is there going to be a price to pay for what they're doing, you know, to these athletes and how they're undercutting them and underselling them? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think like it's to your point of you know, how these contracts are made and actually what they say, part of the problem is, you know, like we don't know cause they're all NDA'd, but the, there's this, there's this logic about like sponsoring athletes in particular and what events are quote unquote popular that are based on like pre, I mean, this, the sort of more like the, the, the researcher in me is like, these are not, we haven't asked good research, but we haven't done good research about this because right. a lot of it is speculative but it's speculation based on only one model that's been applied, which is like, oh, this person, they're marketable for X, Y, and Z. I think until very recently, that's been like, you know, they're white, like they have this kind of following, like these kinds of people want to buy our shoes. This is the kind of story that a track and field fan likes. Like there's this mentality, right? And so that's why this person is, I mean, you see this a lot with African athletes in particular, it's like, they're not as marketable, like their contracts for sure are way lower, like to get the, you know, you could be running 10 minutes faster in the marathon and you have a half the size of a contract if you're an Ethiopian athlete versus an American athlete. Um, and there's always this arguments like, well, they're not marketable, but no one's really actually tried to market them. <laughs> so I think that there's that. And then your question about like the TV rights and stuff, there's this panic always in our sport to be like, this isn't popular. Like we need, we can't do this. It's not fast paced. It's not blah, blah, blah. And there is some truth to that, but there hasn't been like a lot of effort, I think on the part of broadcasters to make certain things legible to audiences who might not know the sport that well. Um, So in my opinion, one of those things is certainly talking about the lives of the athletes um, like in a distance event, it's crazy that we don't know anything about, you know, the African athletes who are going one, two, three, yeah. and we're only talking about the person in fourth, but then for something like the shot put, obviously it's a bit trickier. I don't know how you do it over broadcasting, but like one thing I was thinking about when Elliot Kipchoge broke like the marathon two hour, it was either when he broke the world record and we broke two hours in the marathon, they had in a bunch of marathons, this like treadmill that went the pace that he was running. And so people could like jump on and there was a lot of padding and they could see how like long they could run with Elliot Kipchoge. Hmm. Why is there not like a place outside of track meet where you have like a shot put for people to come and pick up and like see how heavy it is. You know what I'm saying? And like, see how far you can throw compared to these pros. Cause then you see like, yeah, all they do is throw a shot put, but like so much farther than like literally anyone in the world could do it like so much. And it's the same thing with like, um, you know, these track run, like the sprinters or, you know, like, um, I think it'd be great at some of these bigger track meets if they had like interactive elements to see, or, you know, okay. So person jumping the high jump, like that's like jumping over what two cars stacked on top of each other. Like, I think that there are ways they can do that within the broadcasting too. Um, if you look at like a basic, you know, basketball game broadcast versus track broadcast. There's so many more like interactive elements yeah. that you can see. I mean, stats for sure, but like, you know, I think about distance running a lot. It's crazy that, you know, we, you only see the person in first and we can't have like a little track with like little dots, at least showing how far back the other people are. We can't have yeah. split screens so we can show field events and track events at the same time. Like these are really, I mean, I don't know how to do it, but they seem like very basic, like, 
you know, technological fixes. <laughs> Back so. in the day, and listen, you, you, you're preaching. I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. Back in the day, I don't know if you remember this, but ESPN had a segment called Sports Science. And so pretty much what they would do is they would get a dummy and they did it with football or whatever. And so they would have, it sounded like Jeremy Tash, but I'm not exactly sure who it was, but he would be the one that would, you know, break it down. So, or it wasn't even a dummy. It was just a random guy in pads and a helmet. And they were breaking down this person. It was like, they're going at the exact speed of 21 miles an hour. You compare that to a car. Or oh, I totally remember what you're talking about now. <laughs> something like this. Or let's look at tackling. They're coming at the force. Listen, I'm bad at math. I'm not even going to try to, you know, re, you know, replicate what he was saying. But they're coming at a force of X, Y, and Z. That is the equivalent of. I feel like it's so easy to do that in track and field, and you know, and stuff like that. I remember watching a football game. It was in 2014. It was Ohio State versus Minnesota. It was 20. It was 19 degrees there. It was snowing, and Tom Lugan, Tom. I'm going to mess up his last name, held a football. And so he literally one minute explained the difference between throwing, why it would be an issue trying to throw the football in the snow because the moisture of your hand, you know, there's more moisture that comes, makes the football, you know, wet. It's hard to grip the football. This is why the athletes are wearing gloves, but there's no like I, I wrote a story on Trey Hardy and Simon Richards Ross because I think they do a great job. I think the sprints for the most part, you know, they, they do a pretty good job. But distance runners and, you know, field events, you have to pay a separate service to you have to have a like an NBC gold is not cheap. Like, you know how much fried chicken I could buy. You know, you know, instead of paying, you know, for NBC gold and stuff like that, that's not cheap. That does not help, you know, the athletes. And so it's like we're killing ourselves because we're not. And it's like, no wonder they don't trust us, you know, and stuff like that. So I I, I don't know. I, I definitely agree, you know, with what you're saying. And so before we switch gears, I guess just based on everything we've learned, based on what we just talked about, based on the examples and scenarios that are the issues, and even based on what we learned in Magic Boost, because we all got different perspectives. Um, and I have to say, I didn't realize it got cold like that in Oregon in August. Um, that was a <laughs> that was a culture shock. But how do where do we go from here? How do we change this specifically in our? And I'm not talking about you know the 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 you know subscriptions and all that stuff. I'm talking about in our field of expertise how do we you know flip the narrative i think you're doing a great job of doing that because you're bringing to light causes and actual issues when you know whether it's ethiopia or the pan-african games or just the different things you know that you're doing research on and the different things that you're finding and bringing to light and the people that you're introducing to the world you know essentially uh, but where are we where does the change start yeah, just for the, for the listeners too. When Dom says it's uh, it was cold. It was like it was like seventy. Okay. No, I mean, I think that like 
I, I actually am optimistic in a lot of ways, especially after that program, like despite what everything we just said, I think that, I think there, like there, there are a lot of great people that have great ideas. Um, but yeah, I, I think that kind of like we've been talking about this whole time, I think getting new voices is like for sure the key, especially voices who can identify like with the athletes who have had, even if they're not athletes, like who have just had similar upbringings who are from the places that they grew up and like understand maybe their lives a little bit better, which I definitely think Magic Boost had because um, the athletes respond to it, but also like then you're bringing in so many different perspectives. And I think collaboration is, is really the way of, like we saw what happened with Simone Biles and like Naomi Osaka and like these athletes are under a tremendous amount of pressure. Oh, and yeah. if we can alleviate that by making either, you know, altogether abolishing or like making the <laughs> press conference a very different experience for them. Yeah. So we get better stories, but they also end up having longer and like healthier careers. I, I try and I, I, I would like in like my sort of utopian vision I would like all of these processes to be more collaborative in terms of the storytelling and like, again, how we utilize each other. If there's some kind of like historical context that I can provide to someone else's story, like I hope they reach out, you know? And like, I don't, if I somehow end up in a position where I'm supposed to be covering like a shop putter, like I would definitely call you, you know what I mean? And like, either maybe you should write the story or maybe like, at least you'll give me some insight to, so that it'll be a much better thing. Yeah. Um, so I hope that these relationships like that we've created can, can help us do that. And the ones that we've created with the athletes, like, I know you've been really good at that over the years of like having these long-term relationships that like, I mean, that's what this whole thing is about. Um, you know, you can try and approach someone and ask them, fire a few questions at them from, you know, behind an iPhone that you're recording from. But if you've never like spoken to that person, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not going to be, it's not going to be that interesting. So, but I think, I think a lot of us are, are trying to do things a little bit differently now. So I am excited about that. Hey, listen, the future's bright for the Magic Boost program. Definitely check us out. And obviously the future classes as well. But now it's time for serious business, Hannah. We got to talk 90s Nickelodeon shows and we'll even sprinkle some business stuff in there. That, that's the purpose of this podcast <laughs> is to talk 90s Nick shows. What, what was the, the, I don't want to say the golden, what is the show? Like if, you, if, if somebody had to start with the show, what is the show that you say this is what life is about, the 90s show? Oh, for sure. For me, Hey Arnold. Like, there's just no question. What character do you relate to in that? Okay, I was thinking about this today because obviously this weird guy, I knew we were gonna like at least touch on this. And I don't, I don't think like I'm really a lot like one of them, but I think that there are elements and maybe this is what makes it so good of like, especially probably the three main characters in my mind that I do relate to. And like, when I look back, obviously that changes, but I think like, I think I'm pretty diplomatic or I can be. Um, and I think that is an Arnold feature. So I definitely like relate to that. And I think I'm pretty, I think he is very good at, at most of the time, like asking, trying to put himself in other people's position, but he does like miss a lot of things. And I think his flawedness is also important. 
um, Gerald is obsessed with like lore and like urban tales. And that is super me. I'm like, I'm really into like finding out these weird, I went down a deep rabbit hole today, learning about some like superstition that Japanese baseball fans are into. Um, like, I, I love these kind of stories that, that this is like the anthropologist, like, you know, people rally around like curses yes. on baseball teams and things like that. So I think that, I think there, there's an element of me there. And then I think I definitely have parts of Helga um, and did when I was a kid. I don't think I'm like, I don't think I was ever quite as angry as she was, but I think that she's, she, she's, uh, she's, she's, she's remembered as this like very angry child and she is, but she's also like a tomboy and she's like actually pretty good at baseball, <laughs> Loki. And like, she's always kind of straddling these worlds and she doesn't belong. And I, I feel like I belong places, but I think when I was a kid, it was harder for me to, you know, I was like very into sports, but, you know, wanted to have meaningful friendships with other girls. And like, I don't know, I think, so I, th I, I get sort of where she's coming from. Um, I don't think I identify with her the most because I think she's a bit too, too Other crazy. aggressive. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> but, putting it lightly. I've never seen anybody throw a fade like Helga. Helga Pataki <laughs> and everything like that. And I will say this, it fixed the time because I don't think I've never seen a beeper store, you know, yeah. person I store. know the be it's a beeper emporium. Yeah. It's the beeper, beeper emporium. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I would struggle having Olga as a sister too. Yeah, she's a perfect older sister. Like that's a real relatable thing. And she has this insanely passionate love for someone. And she can't express it. And like, we've all had versions of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just for me, it doesn't come, you know, the, the result is not me. Like, I don't think I was ever mean to anyone in the way the Helga's mean to a lot of people. So. Helga, I don't know how she got, did not get found out like early on. <laughs> like it's the, the closest was when, you know, the locket, um, she had the locket, the locket, the locket uh, for Arnold. And I think the pig took it uh albert oh abner yeah. abner abner uh abner took it like that was the closest and yeah it showed her athleticism and determination <laughs> you know to kind of get what she wanted i think helga was misunderstood it's this is the i think she's also like a lot smarter than the other fourth graders she is like, she's like really smart so i feel like that would be frustrating <laughs> i'm trying to figure out is there someone on that show i related to and I'm actually having trouble. I think as bad as it sounds, it's a mixture of uh, Eugene and Mr. Green, the butcher. What? Yeah. You do not strike me as Eugene. A little. I he was, was always getting into accidents and like I was four. I walked into the air system, just walked right into it. I I, I don't know how I was Eugene because I tried to try you try to make the best out of every situation. That's fair. Okay. Um Mr. Green, he liked food, and that was me. That was my dog right there. You know, Mr. Green and um when he he was kind of that. And I think you kind of relate to it too. There's kind of like this toughness that you have to have 
and stuff like that. And in his own way, he wanted to make a difference. He didn't exactly, you know, know how. Um, Gerald, you know, the swag, I, I, I definitely You're get definitely, that. you have very intense Gerald energy. <laughs> I, really? Yeah, because you're like very smooth with words. You're very sort of intentional about the things that you say. Okay, shout out to Gerald. See, back in the day, I used to be Gerald because I used to have a fro. Oh my God, where are these photos? <laughs> I, I, that's a conversation for when the show is over. <laughs> the, the public can't see that. I think I made a put on Instagram, but yeah, I used to have a fro back in the day. Um, can't grow one out now, but yeah, Gerald. It's funny. The show that I related to was, uh, I don't know. There's two shows. So my two go-to shows. So uh, let me ask you this in fairness, I should have guessed. Give me a top three. Oh, no, I want to hear what yours were. I want to hear yours. I want to hear what yours, you were going to say. Uh, my go-to show was The Rugrats. That's followed, my number two for sure. Followed by Doug. Yeah. And then it's a two-way tie between Hey Arnold. Well, no, I'm going to give it to Hey Arnold. I was going to say Cat Dog, but that was just, you know, pure, <laughs> you know, entertainment. I say Cat Dog because everybody knows the greasers and everybody has a Winslow um, in their life that you just want to punt like an extra point. You want to kick it like an extra point. The Rugrats, for whatever reason, I feel like... I related to Chucky Finster. Okay, that I like weirdly can see. <laughs> so even though I just called you a smooth talker from Hey Arnold, I do I do see the Chucky relation. So let me, I want to hear from an outside point of view why. I just feel like Chucky was really smart. I mean, maybe I don't. I definitely like Hey Arnold's very fresh in my mind because I've recently watched it. But my like w- remembering it was like Chucky was really smart, and he's totally Tommy's right hand man. Yeah. And so, like, Tommy's nothing without Chucky. Exactly. And Tommy gets a lot of the glory for being sort of, like, the brave baby, which is so weird to say right now. <laughs> yeah, this bald-headed baby. But, yeah. Like, because you will, like, often defer, like, if someone else talks, like, you'll, like, let them go. You'll kind of, like, let them speak. For, you have a, you're very polite. And, um, but you had, I think you're, like, often yeah you can be the sort of brains behind the operation so okay yeah but i'm curious i why why you identify with chucky <laughs> chucky was um grew up in a single family you know with his dad chaz now my mom is nothing like chaz <laughs> let's just get that skip that out, out the way she's very kind very nice but chad was like scared um my mom, you know, like I said, she had that kindness and everything. But I think that and then you're trying to find your place. Obviously, you don't want to tilt the balance of, you know, Tommy would just didn't care. You, you, you know, Tommy, they don't know discipline and stuff like that. Chucky was always air on the side of caution in some ways. I think that that was me. And then his glasses always used to fall. And if you dropped them, he couldn't see. And that's definitely me <laughs> and stuff like that. So that's why I, I, I'm, I'm like, you know, Chucky. Chucky, there was that episode, I don't know if you remember it, where Chucky has that dream about, I think he, and it's because he's probably from a single parent household, but someone like, I forget if someone tells him that he's adopted or like something like that. Yep. And he has that dream where like, some they like strip, they, 
there's he has like a parent or both of them and they like take off these costumes at night yeah, and I remember that being like that's like such that's like so deep <laughs> for your little kid it's such an iconic like episode even like there's so many that's the thing about 90 shows and that's why I'm so excited to have this conversation there's so many deep philosophical like life lessons in that um Doug Funny is somebody that I, you know, you know, kind of relate to from, you know, him being so expressive. Uh, and in some ways I can kind of relate to Skeeter as well. Um, but Doug Funny, I don't know. There's just something about him. Just a new guy on the block, you know, trying to trying to make his way. He's socially awkward, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I don't have a dog. And I gotta give a shout out to whoever whoever came up with the names because just I'm I'm, I'm thinking Patty about mayonnaise. yeah Patty mayonnaise like I was listening to uh, Swag Surfing and that's like the line of the century. He's like Shardy, check my Dougie like she's Patty mayonnaise. I was like, oh my god, that's like brilliant and stuff like that. Um, Doug, funny Patty mayonnaise, pork chop, uh, and then you get Roger like the great <laughs> just like stop you know after that um so yeah I, I think you know I relate to you know him as well and then you know we talk about hey Arnold and stuff like that but who would be your top three when it comes to shows what, what's your top three those are like actually I mean legitimately my top three too I would probably say regret I think Doug, I, I, I need to like go back and rewatch it because I'm sure I like don't remember it as well for some reason, but I'm sure like as I would, it would come back. But those were definitely the three. Um, cat dog was <laughs> just wild. <laughs> like that's, that's my association. I just, it was just nuts. Um, and uh, yeah, so those were, those were probably, and the interesting thing about all of them now too, looking back, especially some of the smaller casted ones, like, they're, they are pretty like boy heavy casts a lot of the times. Yeah. Because um, I remember like identifying too with Angelica a little bit on Rugrats. And I think, and it, it's weird that I was like identifying with all these mean girls because I really was like not a mean kid at all. I was actually quite nice. But I think it was like, I mean, there was Lil, but she was like such a tertiary character that you barely got to like, you didn't get the same level of depth. Whereas Angelica, there was at least given this sort of like, you know, she was given this kind of depth. Um, Angelica, it, you, you, no, don't even do that. Angelica, <laughs> I have a question. But I'm not, it's, it's going to be the last one before we get to the rapid fire and then we'll wrap up this yeah. one. Oh, that evil little girl, no. You're not, <laughs> you are more of a Susie Carmichael. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Like far, far more, more than or or and this is when they screwed up the Rugrats when they brought Kimmy in. Oh yeah, that got bad though. I I I feel like I checked out mentally. (laughs) I didn't like really. I kind of checked out. I was holding on when they brought Dylan, and then I like started realizing name like Dill Pickles. Like okay, cool. Like okay, that's that's. Oh yeah, um, and then they did that like all grown up. That was so weird. Worse. That's what, it's still on TV. They have a whole series on it now. I I don't like that at all. <laughs> Keep them as babies and stuff. Like yeah, that. that's like the beauty of of 
hey Arnold and like I like they're in fourth grade for like 12 years like they, oh. they're never not in fourth grade oh. and like, it's like regrets like they're just babies just let them be babies forever that's oh. the whole point you know, like they keep getting held back and everything, and you know that's that's all right. <laughs> PS, exactly. They don't age. Yeah. <laughs> Who? Let's talk about villains. Top three. Wait, let me ask this. Honorable mention show. Ooh, I don't even know. Well, I guess this is a little bit later. This might even be two thousands. But like Rocket that. Power, did you watch Rocket Power? I did. Mine's not Rocket <laughs> Power, but yeah, I did watch Rocket Power. You yeah, I don't know. There were just like so many like iconic little things in that show that stuck with me. <laughs> so I would say that, which is, uh, I, I'm probably like too old for that, but. Um, no, because it was just kind of like, because Rocket Power came like right before SpongeBob. Like. Yeah, I guess that's true. I feel like I'm missing something too. So, you. honorable mention. So there's there's like three. Sorry, but there's all real monsters. There is oh frick. It was the show with all these bugs, and I cannot. Oh, um, no, this is different. Rocco's Martin Life. Yeah, I was gonna bring up Rocco's. But I feel like there was like a lot of gross things in that it show. It was really well. First of all, the dude's name was Heifer, <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, okay, like that was that was weird. But for whatever reason, I like that show. And then there was a show called As Told by Ginger. Oh yeah, I remember that one. That oh, we didn't even bring up um the Wild Thornberries. Oh my gosh, how did I forget that? Yeah, it used to be my jam. Like, yeah, like that, that show was amazing. I mean, oh my uh, god, you you relate so much, Johnny. to <laughs> No, because Eliza was brave, she traveled, she was Donnie spoke in hieroglyphics. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was the really, there was like Darwin, who is that really pretentious. Like that lived with them or something. Yeah, Darwin, uh, Debbie was interesting. Nigel was probably the weirdest dude I've ever. Okay, here's a good question based on that show. If you could talk to one animal, oh my god, one one, like species, what would you choose? Like you couldn't talk to all of them. Elephant. Okay, I respect that. They're really smart, and they have. I feel like they have so much wisdom. They, I mean, they have like incredible memories. Yeah, so like if you owe them some money, like you know, they would know it, or yeah, uh, I don't know, it's either an elephant or a dove. I like how your go to was like, if you owed them money, they would know it. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. How about, how about, <laughs> no, I mean, that's like definitely how my mind works 90%. Of the time. Um, an elephant or a dove, those are two, yeah. How about you? It would be penguins because of my like history with penguins because I love them. But it would be really fun to talk to like a cheetah, you know, as as track a oh. as track journalist and be like, what does it feel like to be the fastest animal in the world? Yeah, <laughs> hold them like. Um, the first question I'll ask cheetah is like, do you think Tyreek Hill can beat Usain Bolt? Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's just so much good material here. Yeah, and, you know, the cheetah be like, nah, fam, I smoke them both, and you know. <laughs> um wow 
I never really thought about that. Yeah, it would be. But yeah, you like roll up on the elephant. It's like, hey, man, um, you owe me lunch money from like the other week or like a yeah. couple weeks ago and stuff like that. So yeah. So last one before we get to a quick rapid fire, then we'll wrap it up. Top three villains. Yeah, it's going to be like the same people identified with, I feel like. <laughs> oh, and Angel- like Angelica's got to be like number, maybe number one. Yeah. Um, there's so many in Hey Arnold, but they're all also kind of, they're somewhat redemptive. Um, yeah. Like the Jolly Ollie man is like, evil most of the time but then he like has his like episode that's the thing about hey arnold is they give everyone their moment to like yeah or background to like explain why they are the way they are um yeah and then i mean miss trunchable is like definitely one that sticks in my mind too not a tv show but yeah how about how about you angelica roger clotz Oh. Yeah, Roger's a real one. John, John, John Blank. Uh, that weird looking dude on Rocket Power. That the he was married to the nice lady. I can't remember. Not Rocket Power, not Rocket Power. Uh, Rocco's Modern Life. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, so y'all go look it up because I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> anticlimactic. And then I just have to say this for go for it. three shows that four shows that were actually pretty epic back in the day because it was better than MTV. The Amanda Show, oh my all, God. all that, and uh, Keenan and Cal. Keenan and Cal, yes. <laughs> dun dun dun. And uh, Nick at Night or Nick News with Linda Ellerby. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, so it was time to go to sleep and everything like that. So wow. we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up with a bow. We're gonna do something that I like to call down the home stretch. I'm gonna ask you a few rapid fire questions, and you have to answer them to the best of your ability. Okay. If there was a food that you had to live without for the rest of your life, what would it be? Apples really <laughs> yeah oh. i eat like at least one a day usually more and anyone that knows me knows that that's like yeah i need them to survive okay. and coffee but coffee's a drink so that counts you can do coffee yeah yeah i hate like coffee then first to be honest okay i hate coffee no you don't drink coffee because i i, I hope that they abolish yeah yeah i hate it with all my heart if you had to be a guest on one '90s show, what would it be? Ooh, I mean, I feel like my my answer is always going to be handled to everything, but beyond that, the Wild Thornberries, then for sure. I'd, like, I'd, I like that. Yeah, you could be anywhere. I'd be so cool. I'd be actually. I'm gonna choose the Wild Thornberries. The setting is definitely way better. That is one of the saddest movies. In the world of the wild thornberries. I don't remember the movie that well. Okay, well, the first part is sad when they ship her away, or whatever the case might be, to boarding school. Oh, okay. Stuff. 
that that's an interesting that's a good one that kind of stumped me okay what is a theme song that you would say best describes your life a theme song or just a regular song oh a regular song oh sorry okay like not okay <laughs> to like get out of the 90s mindset it's okay uh, geez i have no idea my mind is like so far from music i would have to open like my spotify or something okay okay let's change it let's say a book okay a book to that would best describe your life i'm just gonna come back to like the same things i know it's just so boring it's okay. matilda is the only thing that comes to mind which is crazy i, I love um, yeah that's okay um favorite place to vacation this is probably surprising because i travel a lot but well i guess i don't like vacation a ton but i think like colorado in the summer as we spoke about and like anywhere warm in the winter <laughs> is my that's my ideal timeline but yeah the mountains in the summer are like my favorite i'm like telling him how cold it is in orlando and that's like hiking weather <laughs> whatever case might be um okay best venue that you've attended for like a concert or just in general in general it could be oh. concert, it could be athletics it could be anything okay i have a good answer to this going to like a domestic track meet in ethiopia um either the national championships in the stadium in the capital or the like junior championships in this little like rinky dink town a couple hours south of addis where like people go nuts um but i was at a track meet in the capital like a year ago the national championships and the men's 10k was going on the power went out during the middle of the race and like you've never seen a stadium so invested in 10k so that was pretty sweet wow okay yeah. Wow. If there was an event that you could run that you've never run before, what would you do? Ooh, there's so many. Um, probably like a trail, like something, I don't know. I mean, there's like really cool ones that sound so painful. Like the Hard Rock 100, it's like in the San Juan Mountains of Colorado. I mean, I couldn't, I'm not like ready for it by any means, but it never will be. But in terms of like the scenery and the terrain, it seems like pretty, pretty cool. It's just like beautiful trails and like some of those beautiful mountains. And so probably that. Two more. <clears throat> oh, voice crack. Sorry about that. Two more. What is a trend that you wish would go away? Oh God. I don't I feel like I don't even know what trends are like happening right now. So we're we're um, not okay, so let's change it because no, no, I mean, yeah, it's just our time. So we can change I don't go have TikTok, so I don't get that. Like, yeah, that's okay, yeah, that's weird. Well, I can't say that because I'm gonna end up using TikTok to promote this podcast. So I can't say that. What nineties trend that would you wish would come back? Ooh. I mean, I think some of the fashion definitely is um yeah so probably like that i mean i feel like there was also probably just like a 90s i don't know we were kids so it's hard to know um oh you know what comes to mind this is super random everyone should look it up i'm pretty sure they're called prestos <laughs> they were a shoe that like you could slide on and they didn't have laces Prestos. I think they were called Prestos. I think they were Nikes. I just remember having them. They um, Presto shoes. 
like, I want to see if I can find a photo of them. Okay, so Nike did a re like vitalization. It looks like on Presto shoes. Yeah, they look too normal though. These shoes shoes look like crazy. I oh, mean, one thing that's always so funny about like um, looking back at it, it was like a projection of the fu- the future. It was like a futuristic shoe. I feel like, but it, now it probably looks. So oh my gosh! No, don't bring these back. <laughs> I know they're so ugly, but I don't know why they popped into my mind. I just oh, remember like having no. them when I was a kid and like thinking they were the coolest things. These things right here. No, wait, I can't, I don't think so. Okay, you can't see it. I'll send it to you. Oh no, don't bring these back. You need to buy another pair and throw them both in the trash. Okay, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. Oh, that, <laughs> that made my stomach up. This isn't Nikes, but I, I was like a pr- pretty big into dunks and I think they are coming back. Okay, okay, well. I mean, it wasn't perfect, yeah. <laughs> Last question. Best basketball player you've seen in your lifetime? Oh God, this is so controversial. I, people, I'm just gonna get so many haters. Like seeing it, you can see him in person or on TV. I didn't ask you, MJ versus LeBron. You, you can pick anybody you want to. I mean, I think that like LeBron is amazing. It's it's pretty hard to. I actually did see him when he played uh, Charlotte in North Carolina, um, and it was pretty remarkable to see in person. So I think that. The way that he like commands presence is pretty remarkable. So I'd probably say him, but I loved watching Steve Nash play. Like I really did. It was just, yeah, he was a beautiful player. So, um, yeah, I'm like definitely blanking on so many people. And like, I mean, I am, my family is like a warrior, is a warrior's family. So I, I also will get a lot of shit for this, or sorry, black for this too, but okay. F Curry for sure. But like, like Andre Iguodala is like one of my favorite players though. I'll say that <laughs> right now in the game. It's he, not my favorite. He is one of the most interesting human beings in the world. Yeah. Can I, I, can I shoot a free throw to save his life? <laughs> no, he does like pretty, pretty, his celebrations are epic. Yeah, very he, epic. Um, and his it's his style of play. I think he brings like maybe more passion to the game right now than almost or like has than most NBA players. Oh wow, okay. he cares about his team for hey. sure. Iggy, you got a fan, brother. Listen, Hannah, you are the GOAT. Actually, Dr. Steen, Dr. Hannah Borenstein, the baller. I'm so glad you came on the show. I'm so glad that everyone got a chance to know a little bit about you. Where can they follow you on social media and follow your work? Just uh, probably on Twitter. I'm not that consistent, but it's just my H last name, Borenstein23. Um, and yeah, I have a website. That's where I, I try and keep it relatively up to date with with publications but um yeah thanks for having me after you know we get offline i'm sure we'll talk about nickelodeon for another hour and a half so (laughs) hannah is the goat and i'm so glad that you all had a chance to get a chance to know her i know that was very redundant so forgive me but this has been another episode of the lactic acid podcast you can follow us on twitter at lactic acid underscore pod you can follow us on instagram at lactic acid pod or to make it simple, just go to the website. Everything you need is right there, lacticacidpodcast.org. want to thank you all so much, and we'll catch you next time.